Pulp MX Network production. To this day, when I hear that song, I see you standing there on that lawn. Discount shades, store bought tank, flip flops, and cut off jeans. Somewhere between that. A new view from inside the truck. X-Racer to Racer and Eye to Eye. A casual look into the personalities of the sport and an experienced perspective into the action from week to week. It's Jason Thomas's Industry Seating. Presented by Pirelli Tires. Fly Racing, Blends All Racing Motor Oil, Works Connection, Plum Creek Funding, 612 Suspension, Fast Foundry, and Pro Glow. Welcome to the Industry Seating Podcast. It is Monday, July 18th, 2022. I have no idea what episode this is. I should probably know that. But we are on the backside of the Spring Creek National, also known as Millville. That was two days ago. Pretty great day. It was hot. Uh, you know, the temperature, if you were just kind of, you know, scrolling through your temperature guide or whatever your app on, app on your iPhone, it wouldn't have looked that uh, out of place as far as like a brutal day, but humidity was up. There was a big storm that came through on Thursday and uh, yeah, that left a lot of humidity in its wake. Not that atypical for Spring Creek in the summer. It's just, uh, you know, kind of in a valley and you get some of that dead air that sits there. There's a river right near there. And, and honestly, I think just that storm that came through left a lot of moisture in the air in its wake. And for myself, you know, I was near these riders and they're coming off the podium guys anyway, when they're coming off the track and, and trying to recover before coming up on the podium, you could see it. They were feeling it. Um, even when they had come up to talk to me on the podium, they were still suffering, like sweating, you know, profusely sweating. And, uh, even just asking them briefly off camera, like they were, they were feeling it. Like it was, it was definitely catching up and I, I could feel it just standing there. I know what that track is like on hot days and it's uh it, the track takes a lot of energy anyway and then you add a lot of heat and humidity into that and it just makes for uh, a difficult day you wouldn't have known if you were watching the racing it wasn't like those guys were laboring all that much uh i thought they you know it was a really impressive effort by the 450 guys especially the first two the intensity that they held for 35 minutes was pretty shocking um and i i kind of asked them about that and yeah, they both said like, hey, we, neither of us could really let off at all. Like we had to basically go flat out and, uh, you know, their, each other's pace pushed them to that. Now, if you're looking at Christian Craig or Anderson or any of the guys behind them, I think they were more settling into a pace. And I think they were kind of going through a normal moto where the front two, they were just flat out. Like they were all in the entire moto, which isn't that normal. Like you don't see that every single weekend. Um, and it's always situational. You know, if the guys are spread out or they have a gap or whatever, they're, you're always managing your effort on race day because you don't want to blow yourself up. You always want to have something left in the tank for later. And yeah, just your natural kind of thought process in, in your MO, you're going to save something if you don't have to use it, right? If, if you're coming from the back and you got to push the whole time, that's, that's different. You're just going to go. But if you can hold something back and not just destroy yourself energy-wise, you're going to do that. That wasn't the case for the first two. They had to go. And we'll get to that. I don't, I don't want to 
talk completely about the 450 class just yet, but let's let's think this monsters first. Pirelli tires uh, have that range of Scorpion MX32 mid-soft mini tires that we've been pumping, especially like Loretta's. That is such a great tire for the start at Loretta's, and it's actually great for the rest of the track. It's not that scoop tire we're going to have this huge compromise, but straight line acceleration on that MX32 is, is really, really great. Plum Creek funding, want to touch on that a little bit later. Uh, this housing market is getting interesting and not in a good way. You know, interest rates are really putting a damper on new house purchases. Obviously, the refi, refi market has completely tanked because of that. And I'll give you my thoughts on where that's going to kind of go from here. Guts Racing, uh, obviously sponsored that Rockstar Husky team. What a horrific second moto that team had, other than RJ Hampshire. He's actually been riding really well, uh, even with the struggles and the crashes. And I, I know he's not happy with the bike, but he's been doing well and at least giving Guts Racing something to, uh, to celebrate. I know he wants to be on the podium. That's where he feels like he belongs. And uh, yeah, it'd be great to see him put that Guts Racing Rockstar Husqvarna up on that podium at Washougal. Fast Foundry, thank you to, uh, to those guys. Um, you know, they have multiple uses, any size business. You know, they work with Fortune 500 companies. Uh, they put on virtual events. They do a little bit of everything. Um, I personally, you know, I, I relate to the small business side more because, you know, I have this podcast and I have the VIP program for, you know, during Supercross and all those types of things. So I can certainly understand how a company like Fast Foundry would raise your efficiency. The things that I'm not a professional at, right? I, I don't have an MBA or anything. So I like to rely on those guys, and I think those guys are where you can really get a benefit. They're the experts in finding, a, you know, everything right now is about finding a little bit of margin. Can you find an extra few percent here and there just uh, through efficiency? And I think a company like Fast Foundry is, is a great solution to do that. So reach out to uh, Robert Carrico and the team over there. And again, you know, I, in this podcast, I really stress just asking questions. You don't have to, you, you don't need to talk to them if you already have the solution, but you know, we're connecting people with the experts in their field. And I think that can really help everybody, right? Because if you have a apparel question or a helmet question, I'm probably your guy, but I'm, I'm not your guy for something that Fast Foundry would know more about. And Zach Morris at Plum Creek Funding is the expert in that field. And then Guts Racing for seat covers and graphics and all those types of things, right? So we have a little bit of everything. Pirelli would be your, your tire expert. So that's kind of cool. We can, we can really be very well-rounded just from the, uh, the little network that we have on this industry seating podcast. Works Connection. Uh, they had that pro launch start device, Justin Cooper grabbing hole shots again this weekend and actually battling with Hunter and Jet, who are also using pro launch start device. Uh, look at Star Racing for Tomac using pro launch start device, Sexton, Roxon, pro launch start device. So pick your guy that gets a good start every single weekend, certainly this weekend. And guess what? They all use the same thing that works connection pro launch start device. You can use the promo code JT21, save yourself some money, but that's a really compelling argument to make, right? If you're trying to decide which starting device to use, just watch the start. Who, what does everybody have on their bike? Pretty, uh, it's pretty straightforward. ProGlow Wash, uh, promo code is MOTO15. Go check out their great line of products. That, that wash is specifically formulated for power sports and uh, can take care of your side-by-side -side quad, motorcycle, dirt bike, street bike, whatever the case may be. Grandstone Boots, uh, just a, a 
really, really nice collection of products. And, and you know, I mention it often, but I've got to watch that brand start from virtually nothing. And I've ridden, you know, up alongside them, you know, I've watched it grow and, and kind of just track their progress. And I really like to look through their website at times when I'm bored and just see like what's new. They have so many different cool products now. And uh, yeah, from wallets, belts, boots, you know, um, everything you could possibly think of in that kind of space as far as uh, low cut, high tops, loafers now. Um, they really have a nice, well-rounded collection. And then last but not least, fly racing is, uh, yeah, my, my main job. We are very much looking forward to launching our 2023 products here coming out at Unadilla. So we're about eh, less than a month away from that. So getting close. And typically, if you are you know in touch with this stuff, you would know that we normally go at Washougal. Unfortunately, you know the world's just not allowing that. Everything's a little bit late, so we're pushing it to uh, to Unadilla for 2023. So let's jump into this thing. Kind of mentioned the 450, but I do want to start with the 250 class. You know, Jet Lawrence just continuing to do Jet Lawrence things. Uh, he goes 1-1 again on the day. That first moto, he had to fight for it. And we have been watching this trend, and I, I brought it up to him on the podium. I asked him specifically about it because I wanted to know his thought process on it. Because if you've watched, he gets out, he gets in the lead. Not that it's always a huge lead, but he'll be winning, and then someone will catch him. This weekend, it was his brother Hunter at, uh, trying to think, at Southwick, it was Levi Kitchen at one point. It was also, also Joe Shimoda at one point. It was Justin Cooper at one point at high point. And we've just seen this pattern where he sp sprints early and then he kind of settles into a pace. And I was more curious to see if he was kind of sussing out the situation, seeing who was going to be a threat and who not, or if that was more of a subconscious thing where he was maybe losing intensity, losing concentration, and not executing to you know the level that he would want to. I, I, I didn't really have a strong opinion either way. I just wanted to see if he was aware of it and also if it was something premeditated or if it was just happening. I, I know in my own racing career, I struggled with that. I would kind of get mid-moto into this lull that you know Jason Wygant was, was talking about this weekend that I brought up. It's, it was really hard to maintain that, that razor's edge of intensity for 35 minutes. It's just hard to do, especially like if you don't have someone right on your rear tire or you're not trying to catch someone, right? You're not, you don't have that carrot to go chase. Um, so, you know, Jet was pretty straightforward. He just said he, when Hunter this weekend specifically was behind him, he was waiting to see what the end of the race was going to bring, right? Was Hunter going to check up a little bit and then make this last few laps sprint? And Jet said he didn't, he kind of didn't want to get caught out by that. So he was saving energy because he was worried that Hunter was saving energy. And then if, you know, if Jet went too early, you think about it like a bicycle race, right? If you've ever watched the Tour de France or any bicycle race, guys kind of cruise up to, I don't know, maybe a mile before the finish line. And they're kind of like looking at each other, waiting for somebody to make a break and they're saving energy. And then they're judging to see who's going to go. And that's what it, Jet kind of made it sound like that's what was happening. He was unsure of when Hunter was going to go. And if Jet went too early and sprinted too hard with maybe three or four laps to go, if Hunter was able to withstand that sprint, 
then he could possibly have more energy and Jet would have already blown himself up. And that's really what it comes down to is these guys are, they know that they have a couple of laps of full out everything they've got type pace. But if you use that early, like say Jet did it and Hunter was able to stay with him and then Hunter hadn't kind of used that little splurge of energy, well then Hunter's gonna go into a sprint and Jet's gonna be trying to recover during that time and he's not gonna be able to go, right? His heart rate's gonna be elevated. He's not gonna be able to take off and sprint again. So there was a little bit of strategy there and, and I appreciated Jet's insight there as to how that was unfolding. And maybe it gave us some insight too as to how it's been going the previous weeks where Jet was kind of seeing what these guys were gonna do, right? Let them soak up to me, let them use all this energy getting to me and just when they think they've got something going, I'm going to explode on my own and take off. And I'm going to drop my lap times back down to my very lowest times and I'll break them. Right. So it's, it's interesting to see what would typically be more bicycle strategy getting used in racing. And now in the 450 class, if you're, that's not going to work against Tomac and Sexton and those guys, they just can, they can go flat out the whole time. Right. So if he's, Thinking that's going to be a career-long strategy that he can employ, he's wrong. The, the 450 guys are too strong to use that against. But for the guys he's dealing with now, he can use it. And, and I would encourage it, right? It's smart because he can manage the race, use that sprint speed when he needs it. And if he doesn't need it, no problem. Save it. And he can, you know, he does, that lowers your risk. Anytime you're backing off the pace a little bit, your risk of a crash or anything going wrong comes down. Now, when you're sprinting and you're just on the edge, of course, your, your risk is elevated, right? You're pushing the front tire in every corner. You're not really worried about holding traction. Like you're just sending it. And yeah, things can happen in that scenario, but that's a part of it. You have to be able to go for it in that scenario. So I just thought it was cool that Jet was transparent enough with us to give us a little bit of insight there. Joe Shimoda, he's killing it, right? I mean, this is by far the best Joe Shimoda we've ever seen. Just incredible effort from him. And I think the most impressive part of this is how strong he is late in the motos. I have never really considered, you know, Joe Shimoda as being this just fitness icon as far as like weight race moves and powering through the pack. But that's what he is right now. You know, he, he is one of, if not the strongest guys in this class late in the moto. There's just no other way to look at it than that. Now, am I saying he's in better shape than Hunter or Jet or anybody else? Not necessarily, but I think he's on par. I don't see him having any sort of problems late in the motos, and it seems to be where he's doing his best work. So kudos to him. Kudos to Nick Way. Um, they seem to be really on to something here. Hunter Lawrence, just not a good couple of weeks. Um, you know, he goes from 7 up to 15 down coming into uh, Spring Creek, and then now he's 27 down. So he's over a full moto worth of points down in this series. And I've been mentioning time after time that if he wanted to be champion of this class and beat his brother, I really felt like he was going to have to be perfect. I just thought he was, it was going to take every bit of perfection and the highest level he could possibly put out to get it done because Jet is that good. And Jet doesn't give you opportunities. You know, the Redbud thing was a fluke deal. wasn't his fault. You, he can't control whether his engine lets go or not. And... He, you know, I felt like Hunter was very fortunate to get that break. Now, Hunter hasn't done anything with that break, and that's a real problem. But even on the backside of that, even with that break, he got 25 free points, which he only got 22 out of. 
he still was going to have to be perfect down the stretch to hold Jed off, right? Because they were only halfway through at that point, and Hunter got the red plate, and it was a great storyline to talk about and all those things. But look, we're two weeks later, and Jet's 27 points back out into the lead. And I really felt like this weekend could have been the pivotal break. Um, this weekend might have been where now Jet's just going to take off and the suspense and the air gets sucked out of the series because it felt like Hunter, after the race, just talking to him and body language, um, depressed isn't the right word, but again, like it was like a, a balloon got popped, right? Like he, I felt like he was so locked in to this series and believed he was going to be champ believe that he had everything that he needed to do to beat his brother. And this weekend in that second moto, when he got tired, he had to settle for a fifth place. He's 27 points down. That's just a lot to come back from. And maybe he can regroup and find that fire going into Washougal. But it just, it looked like he felt deflated on the podium. And it wasn't, it wasn't like he was mad or upset. It was just more of like this subtle mood that I noticed. He just looked a bit deflated after the race. So um, he's the only one that can do anything about that, right? If he comes out and wins Washougal, then maybe that tide turns back his way some. But 27 points against Jet Lawrence, the way he's riding right now, it's a lot. Um, it, it feels like it's like 70 with, uh, with how good Jet's been. So the only way out of this thing is to be perfect down the stretch. I don't think he can be perfect. Just too many mistakes. The starts aren't consistent enough. They have been better, but they haven't been consistent enough. And, uh, yeah, he would almost have to kind of win out here, I think, to not only pass Jet, but to, to sustain any sort of points lead down the stretch. So that was kind of it for the 250 specific riders. I mean, that second moto was pure carnage. No other way to look at it. I mean, DNFs everywhere. Styles Robertson, Swole, Thrasher, Romano. You know, Tom Welch caused the, uh, the, the red flag there. But it was just people going down everywhere. And... <laughs> You almost wish that second motor didn't happen just because there were so many guys out of it. Thankfully, nobody got hurt really bad that I know of. I'm not exactly sure what the extent of um, Styles Robertson's injuries are, but I think everyone else was relatively okay. But you never want to see that. It was just one of those chaotic motos we get every once in a while. Uh, go back to, uh, where was that 450 main event that we watched earlier this year? Was it Detroit, maybe? where Bogle led for a lap or two, and then all hell broke loose the rest of the race. It just kind of felt like that type of moto. So moving into the 450 class, uh, we do our power rankings here, and uh, got some changes this week. I tried to factor in a little bit more of what's been going on recently. Of course, we always look at Supercross. We look at the overall motocross season. But over the last few rounds, I feel like some guys have made strides that should push them forward, and, and I tried to reflect that. So at number 10, I have Benny Bloss, and he's just been on a run here. If you look over the last few motos, he's consistently moved forward. He's been qualifying well. His pace has been really good. He's not getting tired, and I think he deserves to be at number 10. Um, he, I think this was his best overall of the season uh, at Spring Creek. It was maybe last week. They were really close, but he's just been riding really well, and I haven't seen the prototypical Benny mistakes or – you know, the just weirdo type fluky crash or whatever that ruins a day. He just hasn't been doing that. And uh, so credit to him. Um, he's, he's really looked the part over the last few weeks. Number nine, I have Joey Savacci. 
Now, Joey's capable. I, I firmly believe he's capable of running around the top five. Now, you can't crash. Like, he went over the bars on that downhill. Like, he has to do everything right in that scenario where if you're looking at guys like Tomac or Sexton or Anderson or some of these guys, they don't have to nail every single aspect of the day to get in the top five. I think Savachi does. So there's a little bit of a break there in how they have to go about it where it almost feels inevitable for, for a few guys to be in the top five. Savachi just has to, to get everything right to do it. But I believe he is capable of it. And that's a big step for him. You know, he's on factory Kawasaki, Monster Energy Kawasaki, and he needs to continue to put himself in those positive situations if he wants to stay on a factory level team right that like that he needs to qualify well he needs to get the starts like he whole shotted uh that second moto like those are the things that will really allow him to uh yeah to reach his potential in this class number eight ap and i was really looking for kind of a continuation day from southwick for plessinger and we didn't really get it um it wasn't awful i, I understand but you really want to see somebody confirm what you saw the week before, right? If you have this big breakout day, which, which Southwick was, you just want to see them back that up and say, okay, this is, a, this is what you're going to get from here on out. Not, well, he did it once, but now we're right back to where we were. And that's what I felt like Spring Creek was, is we just, we took one step forward and then one step back. It wasn't two steps back, but it was more one step back. And, and you kind of saw that maybe Southwick wasn't exactly indicative of where he's going to be week in and week out. So I, I thought that was telling and not really in a good way. We'll see what happens here. Um, but, yeah, it, I think anybody would agree it was kind of a step backwards from that elite level we saw in the second moto at, at the Wick. Number seven, I have Justin Barsha. I don't know what to make of Barsha right now. He doesn't look great. And it's not awful. It's not like he's getting 15th but he doesn't look like we've seen him in the past. Keep in mind, he won this race last year. He won Spring Creek with a 2-1 score last year, okay? So what I'm, that's what I'm comparing it to. I'm not saying he's not a great rider or anything like that, and, and everyone loves to get hyperbolic in those situations and say, why, are you, why do you hate Barsha? Come on. I'm just comparing it to what I've seen from Barsha in the past, and Barsha has been a year-in, year-out, top five, 450 Lucas Oil Pro Motocross guy. He is not that right now. He's not. Doesn't mean he can't be up there, because he can. We've seen him. He was on the podium two weeks ago. But I'm saying consistently. I'm saying in qualifying. I'm saying if he doesn't get a good start, can he move back towards the top five? I'm not seeing that. It's almost like he has to have every single thing go his way. Like, he's got to get the whole shot. He can't have any sort of weird bad laps or anything he just can't overcome any adversity and I, I think that's the best way i could put it is if anything gets in the way it's too much for him to overcome right now at the level he's at which uh that's strange i haven't really seen that from barsha very often he's also locked into this motocross of nations battle between he and christian craig for that final spot and the way it's going right now you can't say that Barsha's the favorite he's just not riding well enough and, and Barsha was my pick for that spot over the last few weeks. Like once I realized they were going to go 450 guy, I thought Barsha was the best guy, but I'm really having to walk that back because he's not putting in the results consistently. Southwick should have been a great racetrack for him. It did not work for him. It just didn't go well. And that's one of his best tracks historically. This week he won last year, as I mentioned, didn't go well again. 
Uh, so I, I don't know what to make of it. Um, I tried to pry some answers out of Tyler Keith, their team manager this weekend. He said it was mostly like the bike and, and Barsh is overriding the bike and the track, which I mean, I guess, but that's been the story on Barsha his entire career. So why would that be the inhibiting factor now versus any time before? Um, so may- maybe that was just a canned answer, but I could have said that at any time. He's overriding the bike in the track. Uh, number six, I had Ryan Dungey. And man, what could have been? Uh, I really thought Dungey had an awesome chance to podium this weekend. You know, I watched him in that first moto. He just latched on to Jason Anderson and would not let go. He was trying to catch him. I mean, I, I know he was trying to catch him. He wanted that, that moto podium finish. And Anderson is in probably the best shape of his life right now. Wasn't having it. And, uh, but still, it was a really nice first moto that set him up for the second moto where he's just been lights out at, at Spring Creek in the past. And unfortunately, he tips over and ruins it. Um, I, I can't even imagine how frustrated he had to be with that crash in the second moto because it just took – you know, any life out of the podium talk, it just completely sucked that out. So bummer for Dungey. Um, but going into this weekend, one thing you're going to hear me talk about on TV uh, on Saturday morning and maybe throughout the motos is Dungey's historic record at Washougal. Over the course of his entire career, both 250 and 450, his average finish at Washougal is 1.2. That's insane. Like that, that is up there with the best venue record ever you know carmichael's probably in that mix at a bunch of tracks too but 1.2 as your historical average finish in both classes is yeah if, if you don't understand that just for me saying that i'm probably not going to get through to you but that's uh that's wildly rare um and so point being just because he didn't get it done at his home race doesn't mean that it's over right washugal could be even a better opportunity than last weekend was uh, number five, I have Ken Roxon. He's just struggling. Uh, he's in danger of moving even further back in these uh, power rankings at some point. And these are the, the topics that we always cover with Roxon, and we don't necessarily want to, but it's crashes and fatigue and the season wears on and Roxon wears down. Those are just the things that we have to talk about because they, they're just true. I really like Ken Roxon. I've known him a very long time. I, I remember him being a little kid in Germany when I was racing. And to, so I watch him now as a pro and I marvel at how talented he is. And he's so marketable and so charismatic. I would have loved to hire him to wear fly racing at any point in his career. But you can't ignore the trend that as the season goes on, he simply gets worse. And we're watching it unfold right in front of us. It's happening as we speak. This weekend was his worst race of the season. And I don't think that's any coincidence. So it's a bummer, but that's just what, it's just what the dynamic is for Roxon. I don't think it's his fault. It's not for lack of trying. I just think his body breaks down over time. And you just see this deterioration in his results due to him not being able to sustain that super top end level of effort. And Supercross is, is easier. Overall, Supercross is easier. It's less burden on your body. You have a lot more time to recover because it's just, you know, you ride during the day, but then you have this 20 minute all out effort and then you get to recover all week again. You don't get dehydrated because it's not hot, right? So Supercross as a, as a concept is just much easier to withstand that cumulative uh, output of effort. 
Outdoors is not. Outdoors is, just takes everything from you every single weekend. And if your body is not up to the challenge, it's going to show up. And I, I, I just think it's showing up. It's just, it's really simple and really straightforward. Christian Craig is number four. That's two podium, two weekends of podium motos back to back. And that pushed him up to number four. I think it's deserved. I think his speed is underrated. Um, my question though is as this drum starts beating louder for him to be on the motocross and nations team. I just worry about how that's going to go. Um, is it, am I worried about his ability as a rider? Of course not, but he hasn't ridden a 250 outdoors in a very long time. Well, I'm going to say a very long time, but in a while, like a, a few years, uh, this race he's never participated in. And, and when I say this, there's pressure on these riders at this race. I mean that in the most extreme terms, uh, having a motocross of nations in the USA with everybody watching with the biggest crowd you've ever raced in front of with literally the weight of the world on you. It's a lot to deal with. And that's, that's one of the huge reasons I was leaning towards Barsha so hard is I know what we're going to get with Barsha. He doesn't care about the pressure. He doesn't, he's not phased by that this race being such a spectacle, like none of that seems to ever matter to him. And he brings the same level every time. Oftentimes he's the best USA rider of that series, even if he's not having a great year. And that's kind of why, that's what I wanted. I wanted someone impervious to this, the dynamic and, you know, the brightest lights of the year. You've got all these interviews, you've got all these things distracting you and, and pulling for your time. I think Barsha handles that really well. And I don't, it's not to say that Christian won't, I just don't know. Nobody knows. You know, we've seen Christian have a tough time with pressure in the past. I think that's well documented. And if that's a concern, this race is going to exploit that. And maybe he rises to the occasion and just is lights out and we win and everybody's thrilled. But if it doesn't go that way, I think everybody is going to look back at that pick and wonder. You know, God forbid that's the reason something goes wrong. I would hate that for Christian because I don't think he deserves that. He just wants to race this race like everybody would, right? Everybody would love to be in this spot and have this um, opportunity, right? That, that's a given. You know, if, if I was racing, I would have killed to have this Team USA spot. And Christian should be pushing as hard as poss he possibly can to get it. I don't think that's even up for question, you know, up for debate. But I just worry about Christian on a 250. He's about to switch teams. He hasn't ridden the 250 outdoors in a, in a long time. And all that pressure, how is that going to go? And we'll see, right? If he gets picked, we're going to watch it unfold. We don't have to answer it. It's going to get answered for us, but that's, that's my worry. Number three, and these, these top three are the same uh, as they've been for a while. Jason Anderson is number three. Well, recently anyway. Jason Anderson's three, and uh, I think he deserves, he's, a, he's kind of an easy pick for three, in my opinion. Uh, after such a strong Supercross season, he gets the overall podium this weekend. Uh, and, and a little known fact, Spring Creek has not been kind to Anderson. He hasn't done well here really ever, um, just looking through historical results. But he gets on the podium overall this weekend and kind of reestablishes himself as one of the marquee 450 outdoor guys. He had been having some rough weekends. You know, Southwick wasn't great for him. You know, crashes in the first corner, kind of making the, mis the critical mistakes that you can't do. And uh, this weekend was a lot cleaner than that. And, yeah, congrats to, uh, congrats to Anderson for that. 
Number two, Chase Sexton. And, you know, I think this is about as good as you can possibly ride and about as good as your results can be to not be winning races and not have the red plate. You know, I, I don't know if there's a bigger compliment I can give is this is about the best second place rider in the series that I've ever seen. And he pushed Tomac in that second moto to the edge. And I think Tomac would tell you the same thing. Like they were both on the edge the entire time, flat out, no resting, no setting a pace, nothing. They pushed each other the whole way. And uh, that's really cool. We don't get that a lot. You know, Villapoto and Dungey had that at times. Um, we've seen it, but it's just not a year in and year out. Certainly not a week in and week out occurrence. And uh, we got some of that at Spring Creek, and it was it was crazy to watch. Like those guys, the pace and the intensity um, is just unbelievable. And if you want if you want a really good representation of that, if you watch the race, go watch highlights over something just to get it refreshed in your mind, and then go look at Jeff Emig's Instagram of his like recap of 1997 him winning and like he's pushing the last lap to stay ahead of john dowd and look at the pace of that they're going in 1997 and then look at 2022 and it will blow your mind like i was watching emmings and i've replayed it like five times and i'm like oh my gosh because i I raced that race i was there i know how fast emig and dow were going that day like comparatively and and there's a lot different right the bikes are different everything's different but just visually compare those two. Look at highlights from 2022 and then go look at Jeff Emig's 1997, his Instagram post from 97. And it's, it's incredible what the difference is. Um, but that, yeah, that's, that's just how things work, right? If, if you were watching Jeff Emig's 1997 and then you flash back to 1975 and watched highlights from somewhere, you'd, you'd have the same reaction. It would be very, very similar, but it just shows you where the bikes have gone, where the pace has gone, how much the sport has evolved in the last 25 years. Number one, Eli Tomac, and the dude's just on fire, right? He's ripping. That's seven moto wins in a row. That's four overall race wins in a row. He finally got the red plate. And something I touched on several times on Saturday was he used the scoop tire in both motos. He was the only guy. There were a couple guys, I think the HEP team, uh, Twisted T Suzuki team that uh, Mathis brought up did, but as far as elite factory 450 guys, Tomac was the only one. And uh, I couldn't believe he ran it for the second moto. The base was super hard, but he proved all of us wrong. Uh, even his team manager, Jeremy Coker, it wasn't his first choice to send him back out there with that scoop tire. And Tomac got it done. He got the start, which is what he really was counting on with that tire. And then, uh, yeah, I was, I was really impressed with how much intensity he was able to ride with using that tire um, typically in that scenario guys have to be less aggressive they have to basically use the berm everywhere and rely on that straight line acceleration to overcome any disadvantage that tire might bring but uh yeah that was that was really really impressive on a tire that i thought would really hold him back and uh yeah he was having none of that so congrats to eli congrats on the win congrats on uh being the number one spot in the power rankings yet again um, but yeah, that's kind of it for this week. I, I covered motocross the nations, which is what, you know, the behind the scenes story is going on, right? Everyone's the points are unfolding. We're in the middle of a series, all those things, but motocross the nations is really the, the story behind the scenes where everybody's chattering. There's a lot of phone calls, a lot of politics, Austria pushing and pulling monster Red Bull, uh, Roger DeCoster. Like there's a lot happening 
and everybody's jockeying for position and weighing, you know, everybody has their own uh, kind of lever to pull, right? They have leverage and they have influence. So they're all using it. They're all kind of emptying the magazines, use a, a gun phrase there on what they have, because for Austria, they want, they want a guy in there. They want a gas gas in that race. Red Bull absolutely wants Justin Barsha in that race to have Red Bull representation on team USA. And then on the other side, you know, monster, Yamaha Star Racing, of course, Monster is pushing back. They want to have Tomac and Sexton and Christian Craig. That would be three Monster guys. That would be huge. And what a great marketing platform and cohesion for them to be able to use. And then, yeah, Yamaha would have two guys. So, right, like you can, I'm painting a picture, but you can obviously figure out all the different ways people are pushing and leveraging and you know, saying, Hey, we need to get this done. We need a favor whatever. Like, that's just how this type of thing goes. Um, I had really thought it was going to be Barsha. I've kind of switched gears and I think it's going to be Christian Craig now for good or for bad. We'll see. Uh, I think the announcement's going to be at Unadilla, possibly, possibly Bud's Creek. But if Christian keeps riding like this, I think they just go with it at, uh, at Unadilla. So that's it for this week. Thank you to the sponsors again, Pirelli tires, guts racing, Plum Creek Funding, Works Connection, Fast Foundry, Pro Glow Wash, Grant Stone Boots, and Fly Racing. Thank you to all of them. This podcast would not be possible without them. And we will talk to you after Wash Google. See you.